Hello, thank you for being here. It's a great blessing to be with you again. Pray I can be a blessing in the Word. I've always enjoyed being here, and uh, no uh, exception tonight. So we're looking this, this evening at uh, John's Gospel and chapter 2. Going to read a few verses here, John chapter 2. And uh, it's a well-known story, but I pray God will speak to us through it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots there for the Jewish custom of purification, or yes, purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then they serve the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine till now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Father, thank you for the joy of the truths we've been singing. We thank you so much for your utter commitment to us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to draw near to the holy, holy, holy God. Lord, the wonder of it is staggering. And Father, thank you that we know you, and you know us by name, you know our circumstances, you know our lives. And Holy Spirit, we invite you right now, please, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. What we do now, let it be inspired by you, breathed by you. You coming to us, speaking to us where we are, so that we know we've, we've heard from God together. Grant it, Lord. Lord, we've not come out tonight just to be religious. We, we're keen to hear from you. And we pray that we shall hear from you in your word. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm reminded of uh, a time when uh, one of the elders in the church where I've spent most of my years, his name was Steve Horn. And he came to church one evening with his family, one morning with his family. And he took the bulletin. We used to have a, a bulletin with all the details of what was happening this week. And uh, he sat his wife, his children down in the, the seats and uh, said hi to a few people, opened the bulletin, read the few things happening this week, turned the back page and read. Today, Steve Horn is preaching at Heathfield Church. And he, he, he said goodbye to his wife and fled the building and drove 
in his car, and he reckoned he got there just in time. So, an amazing experience, really. It must have been utterly terrifying, but he managed it, got there. I remember once I was at our Stonely Bible Week. Stonely Bible Week was a bit of a phenomenon for us. It ran for 10 years, and it grew to 30,000 people. It was a wonderful thing. People in caravans and tents, church groups scattered all around this field. It was over two weeks, 15,000 each week. It was wonderful. And uh, I had the privilege of speaking in the evenings, a series. And uh, I guess in the, in the big shed, there have been about 10,000 that night. And we'd had this magnificent worship time, celebrating God, glorying God. And, uh, and then it was going to be time to preach and a few announcements, inevitably. And uh, I, I go to the back of this large platform and take my seat and uh, open my Bible uh, to look to see at my notes. And I've got last night's notes in my Bible. And, and I look out at these thousands of people and these are last, that's what I preached yesterday. And I think, oh, grief. And so I, I thought, well, there's nothing for it. So I kind of inched my way off the platform as someone's standing up giving these announcements. Uh, and I get outside this massive shed and I run up to the place where my stuff is. Uh, there's a kind of hotel in the grounds and I run all the way up there. And you see ladies outside with their babies, you know, and What's Terry Virgo running up there for? And, and I get him, I run all the way back. And praise God, there was another item. We don't usually have items, but there was an item. And so it was just kind of coming to an end. As I got back on the platform, I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Saved my life. And, uh, you know, we have to try things like this. Why am I telling these stupid stories? Well, we're looking here at a time of potential enormous embarrassment. Uh, a wedding where the wine runs out. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no wine. Uh, I've, I've, I've been to Cana. We've been to Israel. I've been to Cana. Cana. It's a small village now, uh, kind of bustling little village. Then it would have been tiny, tiny, tiny village. And probably this was the occasion of the year, the wedding. They were all looking forward to the wedding. I guess most of the people of the village were invited. It's a social occasion. We're all here. It's the wedding. And the commentators tell us these, these weddings could last seven days. I mean, they knew how to party. It just goes on and on and on. But this is the one that will always be remembered. The wine ran out. I mean, what kind of shame? And it's a shame culture when you think, oh, we failed miserably. We've run out of wine. And so this, this story really is about the danger of kind of running out. We've run out of time, run out of hope, run out of money, run out of alternatives. It's like, what do we do? We're in a bit of a crisis here. And, 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 and this story is here to show us the wonder of Christ in life. That he can come and rescue us from total disaster and turn what looked like shame that will always be remembered as the wedding of shame, which they didn't properly prepare for and disappointed everybody, and turns it into an amazing wedding where his glory is revealed and gallons of the best wine you've ever tasted are available. It's remembered for completely different reasons because Jesus is there. This awesome, wonderful Savior is there in that situation. And it's interesting, John says towards the end of his gospel, that the reason he's written his gospel, uh, the words are quite clear. He, he's not written it just as an ordinary history. He said, these things that I've recorded, let me read it to you. Uh, John chapter 
20, verse 31, he says, Therefore many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Many other signs. He did lots of other things. And John has selected, and we know he's been led by the Spirit, but he's selected seven. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll find seven miracles which are called signs. And this is the first one. We read that. This first sign. First kind of demonstration of what it is like to have God amongst us. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory. The first Gospel, the first chapter begins the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and lived amongst us, and we beheld his glory. And the end of that little story says, and his disciples saw his glory. This was the first time a sign was performed, the first time his glory is on display. So let's just first of all see this. His first sign was at a party. It wasn't at a synagogue. It wasn't in the temple. The first display of his glory was in life, at a party. Jesus didn't come and say, I've come that you might have meetings and have them abundantly. He said, I've come, I want to come into your life. Jesus wants to share our lives. He wants to display his glory in the ordinary things of life. Um, the Bible, Jesus, is happy to be at a party, all right? I hope, we've, I hope that's how your Jesus is like. He doesn't just come to meetings. He's happy to be at a party. It's important for us to get that the Bible tell us about Jesus. Because we can get strange ideas about Jesus. And stained glass windows and all kinds of symbols and paintings and things. Jesus is at a party. I've never been to a Jewish wedding, but I've seen on movies, I guess, Jewish parties I've seen these guys with their arms all around one another dancing, and I can't imagine Jesus being a wallflower looking on. You know, I think he's in there. He's in the party. He's part of it. He's celebrating with them. And it's a party that's not about him. It's a wedding party. So Jesus is happy to be at something that's not about him. He's not the center. That's the one that we've got a Savior who's happy to endorse Something to be there, to enrich it. And a moment we'll see phenomenally. But he's not the center. You know, when we come to worship and, and our musicians help us and we still focus on Jesus, and we're here for Jesus. These people were out there with the bride and groom. They're the center of attraction. And Jesus is happy to be there. It's, it's important for us, beloved, to get a, a real view of what's Jesus like. How can we know him? We can invite him to stuff. And reckon on his being there and meeting our needs, actually. When we feel, gosh, I'm running, are we going to make it? For all sorts of reasons, we might wonder, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? Because we are out of our depth here. Maybe you are tonight. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know how we're going to make it. That's, this is the situation. Jesus is happy to be at a party. All right, that's the first thing I noticed from this. The next thing I noticed from this is he's happy to be at a wedding party. Sometimes if you uh, uh, attend a wedding, you'll find the minister 
will say words such as this, Jesus, by his presence at the wedding of Cana, uh, endorsed marriage. Something, I've forgotten the exact phrase, but you'll find that in the wedding service. There's reference to this, Jesus being at this. I think it's important for us, therefore, to say God is for marriage. All right, we, in a previous generation, we might not have had to say that, but we need to say that now. God is for marriage. He highly regards marriage. I have to say that now because it was in our uh, newspapers recently last year. In England, more babies were born outside of marriage than inside of marriage. More. People aren't bothering anymore. They're not, they, they, they don't, they don't, marriage is going out of fashion. But God is for marriage. God loves marriage. Now we're finding guys, they don't particularly want commitment. You know, they come to the girl and say, would you? And she thinks, ah, here it comes, move in with me. Oh, all right. And, you know, what? Well, move in, why? Well, we'll see how it goes. I don't want to commit. As a commitment's become a frightening word. People are scared of commitment. But it's a very godly word. God is for marriage. He's for commitment. Commitment's a beautiful biblical concept. And so is marriage. So is marriage. You remember when John the Baptist came on the scene and the crowds are gathering around him and he's got this phenomenal ministry. It says, all Judea went out to hear John. I mean, this, wow, are you the one? Are you the Messiah we're waiting for? He said, no, 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 no. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Interesting, isn't it? I'm the, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Well, who's he? Well, he's coming soon. What a way to introduce Jesus. He's the bridegroom. God is for marriage. In fact, you look at your Bible, opening thing you'll find in Genesis in chapter 3, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They become one flesh. That's God's intention. Right from the beginning of the Bible, marriage is there. It's a God-given thing. And then, hey, what about this? You come to the last page of the Bible. And what do we get? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage is very central in the Scriptures. It's not a casual deal. It's not some social thing we've come up with. It's, it's something from God. God loves marriage. We need to say that today. He's for it. He loves commitment. God is committed to us. Oh, no, you'll never let go. You're never going to let go of me. We've sung it. We've got a bridegroom who's never going to turn away. He's never going to go bored with us. He's not going to go off to somewhere else. He's utterly committed. Hallelujah. So God is for marriage. And this first sign, see a sign is saying it's more, it's more than the water into wine. A sign is pointing. A sign's saying something. It's not just the miracle, it's signing. And John says it. No, it's a sign. It's pointing somewhere. And here Jesus is happy to be at a party. He's coming all this fully, coming into our world. He created the human race. He created lives that socialize and party. He's happy to be in it. He's not reserved for out there and you go to him on special occasions. No, he wants us to be part of it. And he's there particularly to endorse marriage. Amen. So that's the first things I see here. Jesus is there. He's endorsing commitment. Forsaking all others, I give myself to you. We need to understand that something that delights God's heart. Jesus is happy to be there. The next thing I see in this story, as it opens up, 
is this kind of strange conversation. Here he is at this party, and, and, and they're in trouble. Maybe you're in trouble tonight. And, you know, it's high, good to see you, good to say, but under the surface, there's a problem. Maybe that's how it is for you. Maybe you'll say, I'll go to church once more. But I'm in, I'm in trouble. And they've told one person, they've told Mary, we're in trouble, we're running out. Maybe you've confided in a close friend. We're in trouble. I don't want anybody else to know about it, but I'll just tell you, we're in trouble. This is a biblical story. Somebody who's really in difficulties, running out, and spoken to one person. And she, and she comes to Jesus and tells him. And Jesus responds to her in a most extraordinary way. I don't know if you noticed when I read it. He says, woman? I never did call my mother that. I would never have dreamt to say, woman? Now, if you've got the NIV, you'll find it says, dear woman. I give you full permission to take your pen and cross out, dear. It's not, it's not in the text. It's not in, there is no word there in the Greek. There isn't. It's just woman. You think, wow, it's a funny way to talk to your mum. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to overstate it because of from the cross, Jesus from the cross, and you think, how on earth did he endure all that and still think of other people? And he speaks to Mary, and there he says, woman, behold your son. And he says to John, the apostle, John, behold your mother. I mean, it's a, it's a tender word, so we mustn't overstate that. But actually, what comes next is even weirder because he says to her, a phrase that, if you were going to translate every word literally, it would be this, what to me and to you? What to me and to you? NASB, which I'm using here, says, what do I have to do with you? That's him talking to Mary. And if you know your New Testament, you know your Gospels, you think, I've heard that before. Where else have I heard that? Where have I heard that phrase, what have I got to do with you? Now, it's exactly the same phrase that you have heard in other places. And perhaps the one most famous is when Jesus crosses the stormy Sea of Galilee. This storm breaks out. And he goes across, he calms the storm. And there is a guy called Legion. And he calls himself Legion because he's full of demons. And he's chained up, but he breaks the chains. And he's kind of unclothed and untamed. He's just a dreadful, dreadful guy. And as Jesus walks towards him, he says to Jesus, what have I got to do with you? It's like this demon-possessed person. I'm sure Jesus didn't say that like to Mary. You know, what have I got to do with you? I don't think it was like that. But that, this is the, that's where it's said elsewhere. That's the phrase that's being used. What have we got in common? What have I got to do with you? It's like, what is he saying? What is happening here? Legion is saying, you are other than I. You know, Legion is he's driven by demons and this holy God is walking towards him and this, what is going on? It's like, get off, what, who, go, who are you? And Jesus uses that phrase. It is exactly the same phrase you'll find in two or three other places and it's always where he's confronting demons and they say, what have you got to do with me? And here he's saying this to Mary. So what's going on? What is happening here? 
Well, I, I just see we need to back up and see something that is taking place. This, this wedding is a social occasion. That, you know, don't forget the wedding. You may have a wedding in your diary. Maybe someone said, don't forget the wedding. Get it in your diary. You're invited. You should be there. And Jesus is at the wedding. It's a social occasion. And his disciples are with him. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus has now started his public ministry. Jesus has been raised by Joseph and Mary. Uh, and, and we read early on in, in Luke's gospel, there was a time when he was only 12 years old and, and they lost him in the crowd. He, they went up to Jerusalem to one of the feasts uh, and they're going on their way back and they've gone two or three, day, two or three days journey uh, and they take it for G, uh, granted Jesus is somewhere in the extended family. He'll be with one of the uncles. Or also. You know, we're, we're all traveling back down to where we come from. And then, hey, he's not there. Hey, Jesus isn't here. So they go all the way back and they find him. And he's there talking to the scribes. You know the story. And then it says that he went and was obedient to them. Jesus was a perfect child. He was obedient to them. That was the way he lived his life. And Mary had got used to his, this boy that it raised in his family. Now, it says in the Bible, Joseph and Mary had other children, but they've got this perfect child. You know, he was obedient, 12. He never sinned. You know, a perfect child, a perfect teenager. Let's think from oh, a perfect teenager. He, he's, he lives in the home. Perfect. And I'm sure, if you know, read the Gospels, Joseph kind of disappears you don't find Joseph later in the gospel stories. So maybe he died young. We don't exactly know. We just know he's not there. Later on, it says Mary and the children came on. Jesus was preaching. And, and uh, they said, oh, your family's outside. You know, where's Joseph? Well, he's just not there. So I'm sure that Mary got used to depending on Jesus. He would have been everything that a mother would need. Loving, kind, generous, faithful. And I'm sure she got used to depending on him. He would have been the rock in the home. And that's her relationship with this wonderful person. And then there came this moment, which had happened just before this, when he went to the waters of the River Jordan, was baptized by John the Baptist, and the heavens opened, and the Spirit fell upon him, and a voice came saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm delighted. It's like, wow, his messianic ministry has begun. He's been concealed, hidden away, and now suddenly he's on the public scene. And John says, I saw a dove come down upon him. He started his ministry. This is a new day. He started the ministry. And so at this wedding, it's fascinating, you get a kind of overlap of a social moment. Don't forget you're invited to the wedding, like some of you might feel. Don't forget you should be at the wedding. Okay, I'm at the wedding. But it says some of his disciples were with him. So this public ministry has started. He's beginning to gather disciples. He's the Messiah. He said to men, follow me. 
It's, it's all started. It started. And in this wedding, there's a kind of overlap of a social occasion and a Messiah with a gathering church. It's happening at this wedding. And Mary turns to him, maybe like she's got used to. They're out of wine. And she gets a strange response. Like, Mary, you've got to learn, I'm not just here for you. I think that's what it's about. It's like, Mary, it's a new day. It's different from now on. It's different from now on. D.A. Carson, rather famous theologian and commentator, says this. We must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus, by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. Right, let me just read that last part to you again. Declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. You see, beloved, we can, we can, we can treat Jesus wrongly. We can. Mary was in danger of seeing, well, Jesus is here for me. I mean, he's been here for me for years now. And he's here for me. And, and, and we've got a problem, Jesus. And we can be a bit like that. We can kind of regard Jesus as, well, he's there for me. You know, I've got my job, my career, I've got my family, I've got my car, and I've got Jesus, it's good. Like parking space, please, Lord. Thank you, Lord, parking space. It's so good. Isn't Jesus helpful? You know, he's there for me. And sometimes people stop coming to church. They think, and you visit them, why did you stop coming? Oh, we didn't do anything for me. As though that's what it's all about. It's all about, I'm at the center. It's all for me. It's all for me. And, and, and well, if he's not up to this job. And boy, this is a very frightening moment for Mary. Hey, careful. Don't take me for granted in the wrong way. Now, Mary does brilliantly, doesn't she? She kind of bounces back and says these wonderful words. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's terrific, isn't it? I mean, she bounced back. It's, she didn't say, how dare you speak to me like that? I'm leaving the church. No, no. It's, she, she bounces back. Whatever he says to you, do it. She's learned enough. She absolutely wins through. She does superbly. Whatever he says to you. And she's learned, no, no, no. You see, he's the Lord. He reigns on high. He is the Lord. You see, isn't he interested then in solving their problem? They have a massive problem. Isn't he going to do anything about it? <laughs> yeah, actually, he's going to do more about it than you could ever imagine. But how does he do it? This is how he does it. He takes over. See, that's how he solves our problems. He doesn't just run like a genie. Uh, Jesus, hold on, rub the genie. Ah, now this is the problem. Will you deal with this, please? No, no. He is going to deal with this crisis in these people's lives. And the way he does it is take over. See, beloved, that's what Christianity is about. He solves our problems by taking over, by establishing the kingdom. At this 
wedding, the kingdom is beginning to break out. The king takes central place. The king gives instructions. The king is Lord. He's king. He's not there just for me. He's not there just to look after my problems. Solve my problems. Hey, solve my problem for me. That's not the deal. The deal is I come to be king. But actually solves the problem amazingly. But he does it as in charge. Are we in that relationship with God? I know for myself, I, I got saved when I was 16. My parents were not Christian. I, I had no Christian background. There was no Bible in our home. Nobody prayed. And uh, my sister moved to London. Billy Graham came to London. She came home. I'm a Christian. I came home late one Saturday night. And she said, can I talk to you? Yeah. She said, I've become a Christian. I've never heard anybody ever say that. What do you mean, become a Christian? And then she said, I've been born again. Well, that's even more strange. Born again? What are you talking about? And then she says to me, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And I said, very casually, supposed to have been raised on the third day, wasn't he? She said, that means he's alive. And it kind of hit me, he's alive? It's funny, isn't it? Born again through the resurrection from the dead. When she said he's alive, something happened in me. He's alive. I thought, well, Jesus is alive. And then she explained what the cross was all about. I had no idea what the cross was about. I had no idea that Jesus, this perfect divine son of God, took our guilt on himself and was slaughtered for our sake. I had no idea. I thought he died. I didn't know why he died. But she showed me the gospel. He died. And you can know your sins are forgiven. And you can know you're going to heaven. I thought, I've never heard anything like it before. I said, how can you know? And we talked and we talked. And then it was dawning on me more and more. I thought, I was born again. I just knew it was true suddenly. It's a miracle that you suddenly know it. And I remember I knelt as a 16-year-old in my home, just talking to my sister. And I asked Christ to forgive my sin. I found I was surprised. I cried. I thought, what's going on? I'm not used to crying. And then I felt, I thought, ah, wow, I felt Christ come to my life. I thought, wow, this is terrific stuff. And, but, you see, my lifestyle was a mess. And all my friends, we were very pagan. I had no Christian world. And I, I found it so hard to give up that old life and lose my friends and live the way we lived. I couldn't, so I was there in church on Sunday, from that time on, I was there every Sunday morning, I started going to church, I went to a church, I, wow, they're born again too, and I thought, this is great, and a lovely preaching, and I would often feel convicted through the preaching, but, you know, I just carried, I just carried on my old life, but was in church every Sunday, and my old life was pretty disgusting, but I, you know, I, I had this, I, I couldn't let go. These friends I'd had for, I don't know, five years, we were together a lot. And walking away, I, I mean, I didn't know the people at church. And my parents weren't, they were, what's going on with you? A bit religious going to church now? They thought it was weird. And I couldn't make the break. I, I sometimes had an attempt, and I, but I couldn't keep it up. I just kept going back, going back into that old world. I was often drunk on Saturday night. I'm in church Sunday morning. And then one Sunday, I'm in church, and, and the pastor preached. Actually, it was the pastor's assistant who preached. 
And he preached a verse which I would say now was perhaps out of context, but it was powerful. Galatians, it says in Galatians, you did run well, because I was very excited at the beginning. My sister went to the church where John Stott was the pastor. First time I ever heard the gospel preached was for John Stott. I mean, it was wonderful. And I was excited. You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? That's what the verse says. And I felt utterly convicted. I mean, the church had about 700 people in it. I felt like I'm the only person in the church. You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And then I felt God said to me, I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. And it was that last phrase that scared the life out of me. Because I've often felt convicted. I knew as a Christian, because I kept on being told off. I knew that I knew I belonged. I knew I belonged. But I won't if God's not going to speak to me again, that's what that's what I felt God said to me. I want your life. I want it now, and I won't speak to you about it again. And I thought, where will I end up? Because my lifestyle was far from God. Where will I end up if he doesn't speak to me? What's going to happen to me? Because I knew it was true. <laughs> I knew I'm a Christian. I just know I'm a bad Christian. And that night, I went home that day. I went home. I got on my face before God. I said, Lord, I just I give it over to you now. From now on, you're in charge. I'd never done that before. And my Christian life began to change completely. I let him take control. Have you done that yet? Have you done that yet? Have you said, Lord, you be in charge? Because to be honest, that's what it's all about. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's the deal. That is, that's what Christianity is about. Whatever he says to you, you do. Apart from that, you can be religious, you can pop in and out, you can live your world out there. You've got Jesus and so on. But the key is this. You do what he says. And for me, I mean, I lost all my friends. I went through a very lonely season. But I began to come through into something completely, completely different. Completely different. Whatever he says to you, do it. And you find this, in this story... Jesus takes, Jesus solves their problem. How does he do it? By taking over. How does he do that? He gives instructions that are specific, unreasonable, and require faith and obedience. That's how he takes over. He gives instructions that are specific. Fill the water pots. Unreasonable and require faith and obedience. That's the kingdom of God. That's what the church is. They're believers. God came to Abraham the very beginning. Rise up, Abraham. Leave this place and go. Why? I'm a rich man. I've got everything. Go to a place I'll show you. Okay, whatever he says to you, do it. The Bible's full of this. Characters who, yeah, why would I do that? Because God said so. God said so. And then, and then the kingdom of God breaks out. The Lord is king. Our lives get sorted. It's a different life. We do what he says to us. They're specific. They're unreasonable. And they require faith and obedience. That's the deal. It's like, fill the water pots. I don't understand. 
which part of fill the water pots don't you understand? See, that's what you could say. I don't understand. Come on, fill the water pots. It couldn't be clearer, simpler. I just say it, fill the water pots. I don't understand. Which part of fill the water pots don't you understand? It's like Jesus, are you listening, uh, Jesus? Listen, Jesus, there's no trouble with the water. It's wine. Right? We're out of wine. Listen, we're out of wine. Fill the water pots. No, uh, Jesus, you're not listening. The problem is wine. The problem is not, it's not, it's wine. Are you listening, Jesus? Fill the water pots. He's not listening. It's a bit like sometimes when you meet someone who's wondering about Christianity. Maybe you're watching online this evening. You're curious, you wonder. You think, these people have got peace. I, I wish I could have peace. Can I have peace like you? Yeah, come to the Lord Jesus, believe in his cross. Ah, oh, the cross. Don't, don't talk about it. Years ago, Jesus died. Well, no, it's peace I want. Talk to me about peace. How are you people seem happy and peaceful? I'd love your peace. Well, let us talk to you about Jesus. I'm not interested. No, you see, you have to be interested. You have to listen. You have to do what he says. He's the one. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who gives you peace and joy and life. You can't work it out your way. You've got to do what he says. That's the deal. And so they learn to do what he says. Fill the water pots with water. And to their amazement, they guess the best wine they've ever tasted. He steps in. Whatever he says to you, do it. If you've never done that, let me encourage you. That's the beginning of the deal. Maybe you should do that tonight if you've never done that before. Say, Lord, I have followed you. I know about you. But I've never said, take over. You, you be in charge. You do it. That's the story here. It changes from, hey, Jesus is there just to help me. Several of our songs we've sung tonight about how Jesus helps us. I don't know if you noticed that. Several of the songs were about how Jesus helps us. And he does. It's wonderful. But beloved, you're not the center of the story. He is. He's the center of the story. It's wonderful to know. He'll never let go. He'll never let go. But the reality is he's king. He's the holy, holy, holy God. And to know him is wonderful. <laughs> to experience him, to let your trust be him. To lie. See, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. Only three times. Believer, they're called believers. And, and the whole deal is we believe him. We, we put our confidence in him. Jesus said to men, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he said crazy things to them. Like, that early, very early on, when he met these guys, they, they've been fishing all night. They caught nothing. He says, throw the net the other side. And they say, they say, we have fished all night. We're fishermen. You're carpenter. We're fishermen. We've fished all night. There's nothing. And then they, they, they've already kind of captivated by him. They say, nevertheless, at your word, because you said it, we'll do it. And they throw the net the other side. They can't contain the fish. It's a similar deal. 
You can't contain the gallons of wine. They can't contain the fish because they're, they're doing it his way. And God opens up a life that you would never have dreamed possible if you'd do it his way. That was costly for me. I lost all my friends. I hated that. I know my first, I, I used to go out with these guys every Saturday. We go dancing, we go drinking. I mean, the whole thing. I was jazz club fanatic. I mean, that was my world. And I, and I, I went out one, one more Saturday with them, crazy. And I said to them, this is my last Saturday with you. I'm going to be a Christian. You won't. I'm going to be a Christian. You'll be back with us. Now I'm going to be. And I remember the next Saturday, I, I, I came round. I said, well, here we go. And my parents are not the slightest interested. No one is. No one knows me. I'm, I, I, don't, I, I go to a church of 700. You're anonymous. No one knows you. And, and I, I, Saturday night, so I got on my motor scooter. I used to have a motor scooter. So the night I'm not going to go, I go. I get on the bike. I go down to Brighton, down to town. I mean, on Saturday night, it comes alive. There's two universities in Brighton. It's alive. It buzzes with young people. The bars are full. I love that stuff. And I think, no, I said I won't go. And I turn around and I drive back to the dark streets where there's no bright lights anymore, put my motorbike away, my scooter, go indoors and sit down on my own on a Saturday night. And I thought, oh, what have I done? And the young people in the church used to say, Christianity is life with a capital L. And I used, to th I used to think, Christianity is hell with a capital H. That's why I'm sitting indoors alone on Saturday night. And we lived for Saturday night. My job was boring. Now I think I'm going to die here. I'm going to die here. It's interesting. I wrote during the lockdown, I felt God spoke to me. I wrote a book about Moses. And I loved it. I loved it. It's God's treasured possession, the people of God. And it says they got out, they got through the Red Sea, they're delivered, they're saved. And it says, they go three days, there's no water. I mean, I'm following Jesus, there's no water. We are going to die of thirst out here. That's what they thought, that's what I thought. I'm sitting alone, I'm like, I'm like 20 years old, my world before me, I'm going to die. That's what I thought. And I remember I picked up a Bible, which I'd never done before, and started reading it like it was a book. I'd never done that before. And I'm reading the book of Acts. And as I read it, it's like a bubble of hope came up in my soul. I read the book of Acts, and I thought, this is pretty exciting. I thought, is it possible that it could be exciting? It could be a life? Because I thought, I've just lost my life. And on that night, by the time I went to bed, there was a kind of hope. Hey, maybe I won't die. Maybe I won't die. And I didn't. And God's given me a life, unspeakably wonderful, privileged life. But whatever he said, that's how it started for me. It's like, hey, lay down your life. Find it. If you cling to your life, you lose it. If you lay down your life, you find it. Beloved, that was so real for me. The old Terry Virgo died, all disgusting language and all the stuff I was into. It died. I was already a Christian, but I'd never done that before. I'd never said, Lord, have my life. And from then on, he was in charge. 
If you've not done that before, why don't you do that tonight? I'm so grateful. So grateful. So grateful. It's funny, I got to know the preacher later on, and he said, I, I prayed so much before I preached that sermon. He said, I felt the young people's group was kind of backslidden and lukewarm. He said, I prayed and prayed and prayed. I said, did you pray for me? He said, no. He said, you were a hopeless case. <laughs> but God heard his prayer anyway for the young people. And I, oh, and now I, a year later, I got filled with the Spirit, laid hands on lots of the young people. The whole young people's group came alive. That guy's prayers were answered. Whatever he says to you. We ready for that? Can we stand, please, to pray? The kingdom of God started breaking out at this wedding. It changed from how Mary had seen him. Now she has to see him in a new way. He's the king. He's not just there for us, but he will do everything you ever dreamed of. He'll give you wine you've never thought possible. It's amazing what he'd do. But he has to be in charge. If you've never made that step, why don't you pray a prayer something like this tonight? Lord Jesus, I want the real thing. I want you in charge. I want to discover the kingdom of God. I don't want to just visit, I want to be in. I want you to order my steps. I want to discover what an amazing God you are. Pray something like that. Say, Lord, I hear your voice. I know that night, that day at church, I knew God was speaking to me. I just knew it. God's speaking to me. I want your life. Maybe God's saying that to you tonight. You've come out tonight and God's been waiting for you. I want your life. Just, just say to God, yes, okay, Lord. I, I want to know you like this. I, I give you my life. As far as I know how, and I knew nothing. I knew nothing. <laughs> but I just said, Lord, take it, have it. And I let him make the call from then on. He made the choices. If you say, I want that, why don't you just pray, Lord, I want that. I want that now. Just pray it. I'd love to pray for you. If you've prayed that prayer, can I pray for you, please? Just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer while we're all praying, just where you are. That's right, stick your hand up. Just say, That's, I'm, I'm responding to this, Lord. That's right, that's right. Praise God, praise God. Father, I just, we just come to you, Lord. We all come to you. But I do pray especially for these who are responding in this way. And Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that from this day they will find a new relationship with you where you are the Lord, where you, you give the instructions. We do it as far as we know how, 
we do it with you. We lean into you. We say, Lord, unless you hold us, I thank you for your mercy to me, Lord, that you held me. And though I was so captive to another lifestyle, really, I'm so grateful for your kindness, wonderful grace that gave me the time to change, washes away the stains that once covered me. Thank you so much. Lord, bless my dear friends. Bless, help us each one, Lord, to live this life where you are the Lord. We thank you. You want to do signs for us. You want to in, come into our lives. You want to be at our parties. You want to be in our lives more and more. So, Lord Jesus, please invade our lives more and more. Help us to reckon on you. Help us, like Mary, to actually be confident that he's worth trusting. Whatever he says to you, do it. Lord, win battles for us tonight. Win lives that will have a wonderful story to tell in days to come. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.